Okay, so um, we're going to deal with some with the emotions today, and we're going to look at some of these things. And part of what we're looking at is is the idea that we're that we are slaves to our emotions. That's kind of what what we think is that well, that's just who I am. That's just I can't control how I react. I can't control how I respond, or I can't control my feelings. I can't control all these things. So these are all lies that that just simply are not true. And they're actually an embracing, is what I would argue, embracing the curse that God has put on us as a result of rebelling against Him. We're going to get into that in just a little bit. But um, as we rebelled against Him back in the garden, then, then there was what we call the curse. That's how, we, how I refer to it anyway. God cursed all of creation, all of humanity. And as a result of that, our minds became depraved. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 28. Furthermore... Just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. So God turned them over, he, he handed them over, he released them to a depraved mind, a broken mind, a faulty mind. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. Very creative in the ways that we rebel against God. They disobey their parents, and they have no understanding. Verse 31, you might want to underline that, that verse. They have no understanding. No fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. And this is the air that we breathe. This is the world that we live in. We live in a world where people not only do disobedient things, but we approve of, we rally behind, we support no day better than yesterday to reaffirm what we're talking about today, that we gather together now in our society and hold parades and, and, and boisterously support our embracing of rebelling against God's ways. This is what we do as a society. This is how we act in our culture. Well, this, this applies also to our emotions. We, we tend to think, I think that we tend to think that we are slaves to our emotions. We, we don't have a choice when it comes to how we react or how we feel. We just feel like, and that's the big problem, we feel like this is right. This is just who I am. This is just how we are. Have you ever said something to the effect of, I don't know if that's what I should have done, but I did it anyway? Like, I don't know if you've, if you've ever been in a situation where um, you're, telling, you're telling somebody this, this story, and, and, and you, you know you got a little bit over-emotional, you know that you reacted probably emotionally, and that justification usually comes out, I don't know if I should have done this, or I don't know if I should have handled it this way, but this is what I did Anyway, it just felt right in the moment. But we know we're saying that because if we had stopped and thought about it rationally, we would have recognized it wasn't an appropriate response. 
Now, as much as I'd like to tell you that I am perfectly mature in my emotional development, <clears throat> sadly, I have to confess, sometimes I react inappropriately. The following may or may not be a true story. Names have been left the same to condemn the guilty. We have four kids in our household. Two of them are now upstairs. Um, and of those four kids, all four of those children have toys. And some of our children, all, probably all of them, have toys that require batteries. Right? I don't know if this, this is like a phenomenon. When I grew up, I had very few toys. In fact, you know, all of, all of my siblings and I's toys put together probably would not amount to the amount of toys that one of my children has, right? That's just how the world works today. We, we have an abundance of entertainment, including toys from the time that were little kids. But most of the toys that I had were hand-me-downs from my brother, and so uh, they didn't really have batteries and toys when he was a kid. If he was listening to this podcast, that's a little dig at him because he's older than I am. So seven years older than I am. But um, so they, we didn't really have toys that had batteries. But now it seems like almost all kids' toys have batteries. Even if they don't need a battery, they find a way to put something in there that requires a battery just for the purpose of getting parents to have to invest in batteries. Well, um, so there was a day, you know, they've got cameras, they've got, they've got things, they've got trains, they've got music things, all kinds of fun stuff that require batteries. And I'm not, I'm not dogging on their toys, but, but there was a day not too long ago when, um, when I needed batteries. And unlike my kids' toys, this was for a very important device. This was a very, a very important tool uh, that, that we use on a daily basis in our house. It's my weather station. And, um, and I know that sounds like a toy to some of you, but we look at this thing all day long. And if you can't tell what temperature it is outside, I mean, you don't know how to dress. If you don't know how windy it is, you don't know if you need a windbreaker. If you don't, you can't see how much rain that has fallen. You know, it's a very, it's a very serious, very serious tool, tool that we have. And and I needed batteries, and so I went to get batteries for this tool. And what I discovered was when I went to get the batteries to use for my tool, all of my AA batteries that I had just bought about two weeks ago at Costco, a Costco-sized pack of AA batteries, was gone. I would like to tell you that I calmly went out and talked to my children and said, you know, kids, um, batteries are expensive. And it's not really good for the environment to just go through batteries after batteries after batteries. Uh, but, but I didn't, I, uh, I have to confess, I didn't handle the situation that way. But let's, let's pretend just for sake of fun this morning that there are two options we can choose to this ending. Choose your own ending, number one. I went to the kids and calmly explained to them that the batteries are expensive and that I would need them to give me some batteries from their toys so that I could have them for my tool. Tool, not toy. Or choose your own ending option number two, I lose my temper, 
I don't yell, but I talk very sternly to the kids about how irresponsible it was for them to burn through an entire case of batteries in a couple weeks, how they're supposed to ask for permission to get batteries, and that sometimes there are things I need batteries for, and when I need them, I should be able to go and get them to use them since I paid for them. Besides, you were just using them for, tool, for toys, and this is much more important. We rely on this device every single day to tell us the temperature outside. It's not just a toy. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> and my children, or three, yeah. A secret third option, because I may have still made myself look a little bit. I didn't yell. I didn't yell, but I did lose my temper. And I had to apologize to my kids later, after the fact, for losing my temper. And it's such a great feeling when you have to go to your children and apologize for being wrong, for being a bad example. Because even though my toy provides some benefit to our family, in all reality, it's just a toy. It's something I have for fun, and certainly isn't something I should use to emotionally wound and scar my children for life. But I think we all, we all could probably point to, in this last week, a moment or an instance where we reacted emotionally inappropriately, right? We, we reacted to a situation inappropriately. Maybe it wasn't with our temper. Maybe it was with, with other forms of emotion. Maybe, maybe we, we tend to use our emotions to manipulate people around us. And we know if we act this way around this person and we respond to their situation in this way, we can get them to do what we want. And then we're a totally different person with another person because the, this, this manipulation doesn't work with this person, so we have to change. We probably all have moments in our lives over this past week where we have reacted emotionally. We all react emotionally because we are emotional beings. And I think a lot of damage has been done by trying to get us to think that we're not, we're not emotional beings because we are emotional beings. In fact, I have downplayed the role of emotions in my own life, and I'm trying to swing the pendulum back to a more balanced approach. But we are e we're either all hyper-emotional, completely embracing just the emotions and the feelings and ignoring rational thinking, or we're on the other side where we're just all rational and we completely reject and ignore our emotions. But God made us emotional for a reason. A huge part of this reason is that he wants us to love him. And love is an emotion. Yes, there are rational, logical parts of love, but love is, is an emotion, and he wired us to love him. But we don't tend to understand emotions very well. If you're like me, you tend to ignore your emotions, and you stuff them back down inside, and I do this a lot. And maybe you're the opposite way. You, you overexpress your emotions. But Jesus was emotional. He, he was emotional. In fact, I found a list of as many as 39 different emotions that Jesus displayed in his life over the course of his public ministry. And that's not counting his life that wasn't recorded. So we're going to look at a lot of those emotions, or actually we're just going to kind of skim the surface of some of them over the course of this week. But Jesus was emotional. But while Jesus was emotional, he never responded inappropriately emotionally. 
So he didn't just get upset about people stealing his batteries or using his batteries. He was emotional and he had emotions, but he used them perfectly. He used his emotions perfectly. He was never, as we often sometimes are, often sometimes, sometimes often are, he was never controlled by his emotions. Anyone, have, have you ever felt like you were under the control of your emotions? Like you just got angry and you know you're in this situation and you're out of control. Your emotions are totally driving you at the moment. Jesus never did that. He was never controlled by his emotions. At the same time, he never refused to be emotional. There was no instance that we could see where where he choked down his emotions. He hid his emotions. But when it was appropriate for him to use his emotions, he used and displayed his emotions. So if we want to be like Jesus, we have to understand emotions and understand the role they play in our development as, as his followers. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 and 16 says that the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. So all things were created through him and for him and by him, including our emotions. So our emotions are a part of us that God wants us to use in response to him. And at the same time, verse 15, the Son, Jesus, was the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So we see that not only was Jesus emotional, but that because he is the image of the, of the invisible God, that our Father then also has emotions. And you see that throughout Scripture. Now, there's been a, a great movement, I think, for, for good in the church over the last several years to recapture emotions and emotional health. And this is a wonderful thing. And there's a lot of books out there uh, that, that you could look up. Pete Schiz- Pete or Peter Scazzaro, if you're not familiar with him, he, he has some books called Emotionally Healthy, and then you fill in the blank, essentially. Emotionally Healthy Church, Emotionally Healthy Leader, Emotionally Healthy dot, dot, dot. And so if you go look for Peter Scazzaro, S-C-H, yeah, I think A-Z-E-R-R-O, just get it close and then you'll get there. But um, he's got a lot of good books about it. And in fact, I think emotional discipleship is a key component for, for what God wants, wants for us as his church moving into the future. But I know, I know, having grown up in the church, that we tend to get a little bit reactive when we start talking about emotions because emotions have also been used to manipulate. Emotions have been used to get us to do things that we don't feel like we're ready to do. So we're not talking about manipulation, but at the same time, we don't want to undermine emotions entirely in our context. So we have to find the holistic approach to emotions in our discipleship. Now, if you haven't noticed, we live in an emotional world. Has anyone noticed that? No? For instance, 
we have aggressive driving. And it's one of the only places in the world where we have aggressive driving. All over the world, you know, they use their horns the right way. We use them when we're angry. People are just using their horns as a part of driving in other parts of the world. We use them when we're angry. When you hear a horn in our culture, your heart rate starts to go up because you know somebody is mad at you. Somebody is getting aggressive with you, right? So we have aggressive driving where the rest of the world just has driving. And it's funny because we go into other parts of the world and think how stressed out their driving situations are, but really we're the ones that are all stressed out all the time. And I've been working on that, by the way. I'm not nearly as aggressive as I used to be. It doesn't mean I don't have moments where I slip back into old habits. But we live in a really volatile time. I can't, I, can't, uh, I can't really get into, get into some examples without potentially getting political, and I have no desire to be a political pastor, but you see emotions at play in our political sphere on a day-in, day-out basis. We're reacting to things emotionally and no longer using logic or rational thought when it comes to how we talk about either our party or the other party or our country or the other party's view of our country and what they're trying to do to destroy our country that we worked and fought so hard for. There is just so much volatile language that is used in our time, and people are just angry all the time, all the time angry. We live in an emotional world. I can't tell you how many times this has happened to me. When someone comes up to me uh, and they're trying to find, I think they're trying to maybe either confess that they did something wrong or seek some kind of condolence for for what they did. But I I hear on a pretty regular basis over the course of my ministry uh, that phrase that I started started off the sermon with, where people just felt like it was the right thing to do. I don't, know if it, I don't know if I should have done it, but it just felt like the right thing to do. We've talked about this. Can it feel like the right thing to do? Yes, it absolutely can feel like the right thing to do. There actually are gut feelings. But most of the time, we use that as an excuse. We make that statement as a justification. It's an admission. It's saying, my rational mind was telling me I shouldn't be doing this, but it just felt right in the moment. And God actually wired your brain to react in a moment. He did did that on purpose. But the primary purpose of this function is our safety, not our indulgences. So what I'm triggered, what I'm triggered to need, a fistful of peanut butter M&Ms at 347 in the afternoon... It's perfectly right in that moment to indulge in that feeling if I'm going by my emotions and feelings. But my bathroom scale would argue otherwise. So I'm I'm recovering from a cold, so I'm trying to keep from having a coughing fit here. So I have to drink a lot of water. But uh, that's how we're making most of our decisions in our time. What feels right in the moment? What feels right? In fact, this idea has plagued the church now for a while. We make our decisions for our eternal covenantal community of Christ based on what feels right in the moment, and we never 
develop as disciples. See, I've already made Shad mad, so he's out. So um, we never develop as disciples because we never mature emotionally. And part of the way we mature emotionally is by working through conflict and working through Uh, working through situations that are uncomfortable. And so we have a lot of emotionally immature people and emotionally immature Christians wandering about the country because we haven't ever stuck with the church long enough to resolve conflict and actually grow up through it. Emotionless discipleship in an emotional society. My, my approach to discipleship up until this point, once we got into this series, has been pretty much emotionless. I haven't really given a whole lot of thought to emotions or consideration, concern, or care to emotions. But as, as we are now in a feelings-based society, and God did in fact design us to have feelings and to be emotional beings, we cannot divorce discipleship any longer from emotional development. So we're probably afraid of emotions, and that's why we've done it. I know that's probably why, why I've done it. But, but if we want to be truly lamps on a stand and cities on a hill in an overly emotional society, we cannot ignore that which is of utmost importance to non-believers. Right? So you think about it, for, for us, we cannot be emotionless if we're supposed to shine as lights on a stand, lamps on a stand. We cannot be emotionless if we live in an emotional society. We have to speak the language of the people around us if we're going to shine like a light. In fact, I think a lot of the experiences God has lined up for us, God has in store for us in the months and years to come, will in fact have a lot to do with our emotions and our spirit and feelings and all of those kinds of things. I fully believe that, that us as emotionally mature people will be one of the primary ways that God reaches the world around us. I think God wants to. He's maybe even been waiting for people to not be afraid of their emotions. And I originally, I, I originally had this talk on this day, and then last week I was kind of thinking about switching the talks around and doing courage this week and doing emotions last week. And, and then I actually, I, I, I left the things the way they were, and it ended up being a really good thing because I think especially as men, we tend to, uh, we tend to stuff our emotions. We tend to not be emotional beings, right? We want to... We want, to, uh, we want to come across as strong, and we think that strength looks like people who don't show emotion. Could it be possible that there's a way to show and express emotion that isn't immature? I think we need to prayerfully, thoughtfully, and spiritually seek how God would have us both use emotion and intellect to engage with closed minds around us. And if you think about that for just an instant, if their minds are closed, maybe their hearts are open. And maybe God can draw them to himself through their hearts, and then he can change their mind. 
And if we can learn how to let God use and speak and work through our emotions on a day-in, day-out basis, could it not be that it would be through our emotions and the way that God expresses himself to us in our feelings that God will now work through us in the hearts and lives of people around us? Now, these next sections, I need to do a lot of reading I'm going to, I'll try to, to not just make it boring, but there's a lot, of, a lot of technical content here that I want to share with you, and I don't want to mess it up. So bear with me, if you will, as we start to lay a foundation for understanding emotions in our lives. Part of the problem, as I see it, is that we don't seek to develop our emotions because we don't understand them. At the same time, as science understands more and more about how God designed us, I believe that we as Christians can use this science, use the information that science gives us to become more mature followers of Jesus. So let's use the research that skeptics and atheists have done in pursuit of the proof that God doesn't exist to see how God actually designed us and created us. Here's a quote you're probably going to want to write down. Between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. Between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. Now we're going to get really, really biological and technical here and look at emotions. Emotions, part one. Are you ready? Are you excited? Is this why you came to church today, to have a big scientific talk about emotions? Aren't you thrilled? I am really excited. I'm, like, I'm seriously excited and, and kind of geeked out over all this stuff for weeks and weeks now, and really, really, really excited to share it with you. I think this could, I think this could really revolutionize uh, our approach to following Jesus. And so, so as you're listening to what sounds like technical information, keep your mind focused on how God wants to develop us emotionally as disciples, and let God just start to speak to you and draw the whole picture together about how he wired our brains and our minds to work, especially when it comes to us being emotional beings. Emotions, part one, are brainstem, spinal cord, and peptides. I told you we were going to get technical. Brainstem, spinal cords, and peptides. Not peptobismol, peptides. Emotions enter our brains through our brain stem. Let that sink in for a minute. I never thought of it that way until I started understanding how this works, doing research on, on, on at least what we know up to this point about how emotions work. Emotions enter our brain through our brain stem not in other parts of our brain, and then get worked out through, the, through our mind and into our body. They actually enter our mind, our brains, through our brain, stem, our brain stem. So they are response to stimuli. If we are stimulated by something in our surrounding, and then there, there is a response, an emotional response. Sometimes it's autonomic, meaning it just happens. And then from here, that goes from our brainstem and into our limbic system, what, what uh, we'll call the emotional brain. And then from the emotional brain, it goes to the neocortex or the rational brain. So it comes in first in the brainstem, then goes to the limbic system, then goes to the neocortex, brainstem, emotional brain, then the rational brain. 
In the 1970s, this is really interesting to me. I have a whole lot of thoughts about this that we're not going to get in today because you'd probably think I was insane if you heard some of, the, some of my theories about this. But in the 1970s, scientists discovered what we, that we have receptors, receptors in every cell of our bodies called peptides. So every cell of your existence, of my existence, has a receptor in it called peptides. These are highly sensitive informational substances that are thought to be the initiating point of emotion, triggering the storage of memories then in our limbic system from birth. Just think about the Pixar movie Inside Out. Information plus emotion equals a long-term memory. Right? Remember those core memories that they talked about in the movie? That's the movie is actually based on science and how the mind works and stores memories. The reason we have these core memories is not simply due to the information of the event, but also tied with the emotion of the event. So you get a core memory when there's something that's happening and you experience or react to that something emotionally in some way, shape, or form, and then it becomes an emotionally charged event that you remember for the rest of your life. Information plus emotion equals a long-term memory. Emotional events appear to open additional neural pathways that make them more powerful in our minds, which is why we don't forget them. So when emotion is tied to something, it opens, actually creates new pathways in your brain. Through the brain stem, the spinal cord, and the nervous system and peptides, our brains are literally wired to every single cell in our body. Isn't this amazing how God designed this? A lot of people are trying to use this to argue for evolution. I cannot possibly see how you could argue an, an, an intricate design like this would, could happen as a result of evolution. It's just not even remotely possible. And if, you, if you're here and you believe in evolution, I'd love to talk with you more about it. And I don't mean to condemn you in any way. It's just when I look at it from my vantage point, it, it argues for a creator and a designer. So we are literally wired to every single cell of our body, and as much as information flows, we tend to think of it this way, from our mind to our body. The reverse is equally true. There is a lot of information flowing from your body on a constant basis to your mind. It's not a one-way flow. It is going both ways. Now, there is a study done on the International Space Station. I've got a link for it if you would like to know more about it. It's, it's incredible. Uh, but they're talking about how everything is a waveform. Everything around us in existence is a waveform. You're a waveform. I'm a waveform. This chair is a waveform. This table is a waveform. The earth is a waveform. Everything around us that we can see and grab that has mass to it is a wave. A wave, right? And when we're talking about wave, what you're hearing right now is a waveform. Waveforms are what we hear, right? It's all, it's all waves. Well, one of, one of our friends uh, growing up shared this link uh, to a study that they've been doing on atoms on the International Space Station. Basically, they're studying atoms at a really cold temperature, one ten millionth of a degree above absolute zero, which is negative 459.67 degrees Fahrenheit. It's cold. 
What did they observe about these atoms when they cooled them down and slowed them down um, is that they actually turned into waveforms. So you could, they could see, they could visibly see once the atoms cooled down and slowed down in microgravity, they could visibly observe them becoming waves. Wouldn't that be cool? The atoms behave like waves. So this has been known for decades, but the, in the International Space Station, they've just been able to observe it just recently. So think about that. Everything around us is a wave, including you and me. And these waves, they've, they've discovered, can even actually cancel each other out and disappear entirely. Right? We have, we have, we have there's such a thing as... Um, phase cancellation that exists in, in sound worlds, right? When you have, when you have two, two identical waves coming at you from, from different angles, they can actually cancel one another out and they just disappear entirely. You don't hear anything. So, uh, yeah, I know this is getting really kind of nerdy and geeky, but just hang with me because it's really fun for me. And it's Father's Day, so, uh, you know, this is my, this is my Father's Day gift. What does any of this have to do with emotions? Well, if we are waveforms, we are, we exist as a wave, and we have receptors then in our bodies called peptides that are sensitive informational substances that apparently transmit and receive waveforms. Essentially, our bodies are antennas that transmit and receive signals all the time. So when, you, when, you, when people talk about how your soul being a part of you that actually extends beyond you, that your soul is not just something that you contain in your body, but, but your soul actually leaves a, a mark on the people around you. Your soul goes out from you. This is actually true. This is how it works. This is why the people we're around is so important. We need to pay attention to the people that we spend time with. By the way, these peptides are also found in all organisms, including single-cell organisms. So there's not only information being transmitted between us and other people, but between us and our environment and vice versa. Scientifically speaking, I'm sure there's uh, something about how I'm explaining this is, that isn't exact, but hang with me because I'm trying to get it. But we're actually, we're actually connected to everything around us, and I know well, this is like some kind of universalism that we're talking about. No, this is how God designed us. This is how God created the universe. And he designed us to be connected to it. And I think you could probably, you could do a little investigation in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 and 3 and really start to see how some of, the, how some of creation worked before the fall and see some of this uh, playing out. All right, is everyone still with me? Okay. So now we have, we're, we're basically big antennas that we're collecting emotionally, we're informational information from one another and we're, we're sending information out. This is how emotions then enter into our bodies, right? We're stimulated by something, we, we observe something and maybe you don't even see something but your body picks up on something, which I know sounds freaky, but it happens, right? Your body picks up on something and so you feel, you feel afraid. This happens sometimes if you're out at night and you're walking in the dark and you can't see something but you feel fear 
And when you feel that fear, there's probably something to it, so you should run, right? That's probably, probably what your body is telling you. Get to somewhere safe. This is not a safe place to be. Facial expressions for basic emotions such as fear, sadness, disgust, anger, and pleasure are identical across cultures. Identical across cultures. Indicating some inborn genetic mechanism common to the human race. In other words, design is how I would read that. Some in designed genetic mechanism. And all of these are probably a function, a part of our brainstem. From infancy, our, our, our bodies pick up these signals from other humans, and they get stored in our brainstem, and then we pick up on them for the rest of our lives, and we use them to get information from one another. It's how we observe pain and, and suffering and happiness and, and all kinds of things and people's facial expressions, and we feel the same thing. It's how the brain learns. The brain learns through imitation. From the time we're infants, we're learning through imitation, avoidance, and repetition until something becomes habitual. We're often not conscious of the information that enters this part of our brain. This part of our brain just deals with it and doesn't bog down the other parts of our brain with the information, which makes changing habits, by the way, extremely difficult because sometimes we have habits that are, that are actually autonomic in our brainstem or automatic in our brainstem, and this makes it really hard to change those habits because then we have to learn how to interrupt those old habits, but that's not really this talk. All right, so between stimulus and response, there is a space, and that space is our power to choose our response. The next part of our emotional system is the limbic system. The limbic system. First part's the brain stem. The second part is the limbic system, or what we'll call the emotional brain. After emotions enter the brain stem, they go to the limbic system. This is the part of our brain responsible for emotions, intuitions, gut reactions, hunches, and so on. As we mature, our limbic system stores more information to help us be able to make more informed decisions, have more informed reactions and interactions. This is why a 14-year-old kid doesn't have what is known as intuition, because intuition develops as we mature and as we go through our life, and as the limbic part of our brain stores more information, we start to have more intuition, and we can look at how things are going and make conclusions about how this is going to go, but a 14-year-old can't do that because it doesn't have enough information yet stored in the limbic system to be able to make that kind of decision. It's in constant communication with our brainstem and nervous system at the same time as the next brain, which we'll talk about. But the whole gut feeling thing is a real thing. Our digestive system, for some reason, is particularly dense with peptides and other informational molecules and receptacles, receptors. It's a receptacle for me because it's just constantly receiving junk food. But um, when, when you feel something in your gut, it's for a reason. That means your, your body has picked up on some kind of sense through peptides and other parts of your body, and that information has gone to your brainstem, maybe to your limbic system, maybe not to your limbic system, but it's gone to your brainstem, and your brainstem has, has activated these, these uh, things in your gut, and you have a gut feeling. This is how God designed you to work. 
God wants you to be connected to your body. God wants you to know how your body is feeling in all these different ways. This is good and bad. Sometimes these events are healthy and our responses are good. But remember back to uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 20, 28. Just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. Sometimes the information in our limbic system is good and we respond, have good gut feelings. Sometimes there's a lot of bad, negative, faulty, broken information stored in our limbic system and we have gut feelings all across the map. This is a particularly, this particularly cautionary in our culture because we'll, we'll, we'll rule our lives by the gut feeling. We'll run our lives by how we feel in our gut about something, right? Well, sometimes your gut is wrong because it's been wired with bad information. Sometimes, sometimes, there's, sometimes there's years and years of all kinds of issues that have been crammed into your, your limbic brain, your emotional brain, and now your gut is telling you to flee something that you should actually be running towards and embracing. So, this is the feelings part of our brain. The limbic system is the feelings part of our brain. This is where we feel. It's where the majority of the people in our day tend to live and make their decisions. This is where fear is. This is happiness, anxiety. So the whole movie, Inside Out, exists in this part of your brain. FOMO is right here and all of that. So uh, this is also the part of our brain that is affected most by media, advertisers, influencers, and all of the targeting that is done by uh, social media and all of that is all targeted at your limbic system. Why? Because they want to bypass the rational part of your brain and get you to make emotionally charged decisions. So everything in our society right now is targeting our limbic system. But God designed us to, to be able to react with our limbic system for our survival. Our limbic brain is hardwired to the nervous system on purpose. So this part of your brain, you should remember from two Easter's ago, this part of your brain can take over your body and save your life, right? If you're in a storm and a tree is falling, you don't need the rational brain to try to calculate the danger. You just need to run and get to safety. But there are plenty of times when fear is triggered to manipulate our emotions and it shouldn't be. So you've got the brain stem, you've got the limbic system. Between stimulus and response, there is a space, and that space is our power to choose our response. The third part of our brain that handles emotions is the neocortex, the rational brain. Are you still here? Are you tracking with me? Any questions? Limbic, L-I-M-B-I-C. L-I-M-B-I-C, limbic, yeah. <laughs> Hear the word of the world, yeah. All right, so the neocortex, the rational part of our brain. 
This handles functions related to thinking, speaking, logic, language, planning, weighing decisions, solving problems, generating new ideas, etc. This part is connected to the limbic or emotional brain with millions of connections. So the limbic brain is right in the middle of your brain. The limbic system is right in the center of your brain. The neocortex is part of the outside of your brain, right, the exterior, and then you've got your brain stem down here at the very bottom. Well, between the limbic system and the neocortex, you have millions and millions of connections going between the two. There's tons and tons of communication happening between your limbic system and your neocortex, all right? So your brain is connected. Uh, to me, I think this gives this whole idea gives new meaning to loving the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Love the Lord with all your limbic system, with all your brain stem, with all your neocortex, and your peptides, right? Just lo love them with everything. But uh, these three parts, I think, actually make a critical triangle of healthy emotions. These are some of my thoughts, and so I don't really have a whole necessarily this one paragraph. Um, this is my idea. But I think this, this, this healthy triangle of healthy emotions uses all three together, where we were designed by God to work in concert together. We were never designed to make decisions primarily on emotions or logic. Sometimes we want to make totally, totally rational decisions, but at the same time, we ignore our emotions, and there are some things that we don't really have an answer to rationally or logically, but our emotions have an understanding, and they can actually help us make a more informed decision if we pay attention and we use them correctly, the healthy triangle. But it also has to come into play in how we interact with one another, how we are stimulated, how we're responding to that stimulation, all of those things working together is how we love God. God doesn't want, to, want us to just only love him emotionally, but also rationally and actively. God doesn't want you to be in relationships for the feelings alone, or to stir up the limbic brain and not the rational brain, and yet that's how our modern world tends to think about relationships. We're just stirring up the limbic system all the time. This is really interesting. Side note. Research in psycho... Psychoneuroimmunology psycho psychoneuroimmunology has shown that there is a link between what we think and feel and what is physically happening in our bodies. Our emotional and cognitive, cognitive responses to events in life affect our health and energy. Whole side bunny rail, I could go down there, but I, bunny track, whatever you call those things. Rabbit trail, there we go. Those things that, that go off that way that we're not going to do today. Um, sorry, I can't recover from that one. All right. So our rational brains work in concert with our emotional brain especially in the process of mulling something over. You know what that is. And this is where information gets passed back and forth between your rational and emotional brains rapidly. 
So it's bouncing back and forth so that you can mull something over and think about it rationally, emotionally, rationally, emotionally, rationally, emotionally. You get to bounce back and forth trying to make the best decision. Now, dopamine. Dopamine. Between stimulus and response, there is a space, and that space is our power to choose our response. I can't get into all the details of it here, but, um, and there are lots of books and stuff that have been written about this, a lot smarter people than I. Um, all the nurses here could probably answer this, uh, these questions a lot better than me, so go ask them afterwards, right? So, um, but this is my basic knowledge and what I've learned up to this point. It should suffice. Dopamine is one of the neurotransmitters in our brain. It has a lot of functions outside of what we normally think of, but one major function is to reward our brain when we do certain functions, especially those that ensure our survival. So it's hyperactive in relationships because relationships of all kinds are crucial to our survival, right? So we need to mate so that we can be, we can fulfill God's command of being fruitful and multiplying, right? To fill the earth. So that's a part of God's plan, how he designed us. And so, so he gave us this dopamine to reward us and trigger that response. At the same time, we need a community around us. If you think back to early times, we need a community around us for protection, provision, and care. And so God designed our mind to reward our mind with dopamine when we are in community and when we are in relationships with like-minded people for our protection, provision, and care. So when we're engaging in activities that our brain recognizes as, res as necessary for our survival, we get a hit of dopamine as a reward. We're going to sound like dope addicts here in just a minute, but uh, hang with me. So uh, we get hits of dopamine when we meet new people and we build new relationships. We get hits of dopamine when we get new stuff and when we have new experiences. God wants us to thrive, and he wired our brain in such a way that it will reinforce the things that lead to our thriving. Dopamine is produced in or near the brainstem, and it hits many parts of the brain, notably for our discussion, the, the mesolimbic pathway and the mesocortical pathway. The mesolimbic pathway uh, is the limbic system, the emotional brain. The mesocortical pathway affects the prefrontal cortex as well as neocortex. I don't know if I'm getting all this 100% right. But... Um, when we're in a new romantic relationship, we're using the, this physical connection, physical connection with another person. You think about your, your electrically charged body and peptides, and you're touching someone else, and it's, and it's just dumping massive amounts of dopamine into your limbic system. And what happens is we feel in love, right? We feel in love. This is a good thing. This is God's design. We get these hits of dopamine for six weeks all the way up until as long as 18 months of a new relationship, which is what we call the honeymoon phase. And this isn't just 
for romantic relationships. When you're in a new relationship, when you're at a new job, when you're at a new church, you're getting hits of dopamine for the initial phases, the honeymoon phase, that helps you, it kind of it helps you gloss over all of the imperfections of somebody or something or some job or some place or some community so that you will want to step in and embrace the relationship on a deeper level. It just kind of helps you move beyond all of those things. And the feeling, you know, helps you go deeper. However, that's not how it works in our culture. When this feeling goes away, what we think now in our time is that we're not in love anymore. So when the feeling goes away, we think that we need to make a new friend, find a new job, find a new church, and so we leave before things actually get good. What's happened is we've stopped getting the hits of dopamine in our brain, and so it doesn't feel the same as it used to feel. But that doesn't mean that we're not supposed to stick it out. I think we've become incredibly selfish when you stop and think about it. We only use relationships, and we're going to hit this hard later in this week, so if you want some real encouraging content, you know where to go. Um, But um, we only use relationships, jobs, stuff, communities, churches, creation, and even God himself for the way it makes us feel. And if these things that we're using to make us feel a certain way stop making us feel this way, then we go looking for something else to get a new high. Right? We go looking for something else to get that dopamine rush again because we want to feel like we felt. We're addicted to new, we're addicted to ourselves, and we're addicted to our narcissistic tendencies. Happy Father's Day. (laughs) I think we've hijacked this part of our brain. Our whole world right now is filled with structures and systems that give us hits of dopamine on a constant basis. Literally, we're, we're a bunch of dope addicts. Seriously, there's tons and tons of research about this. Why? Because companies and organizations and communities and advertising agencies and all of these groups have spent billions of dollars of research on how to use dopamine to get you to buy their stuff and do their thing. They're using you for their own advantage. For instance, your smartphone gives you hits of dopamine. Every time you flip that screen up, you get a little hit of dopamine. Every time you get a like on social media, you get a hit of dopamine. Every time you get a text from somebody you like, you get a hit of dopamine. All these little things are just constantly pounding our brain with dope, 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 dope. This is why I argue that that social media can be dangerous, smartphones can be dangerous, not just for children, but all the way up until you're 25. Your brain isn't fully developed until your mid-20s. And so what science tells us from marijuana, marijuana is not a gateway drug. Don't use this as an excuse. This is what I hear. The pastor told me that, that, that marijuana is not a gateway drug. As long as I'm using just marijuana, it's okay. That's not what I said. I'm saying it's not a gateway drug. Science says it's not a gateway drug. 
If you're 25 years or older when you start using it, it doesn't necessarily lead to other drugs. But if your brain is still developing, you start to, trick, you start to wire your brain to need the high, and it becomes a gateway drug. So under 25, it becomes a gateway leading you into other things because you're training and wiring your brain to need that feeling. The same thing is happening to teenagers with smartphones and tablets and social media. By constantly giving our brains hits of dopamine, we're, giving our, we're making our brains more dependent on it. So it's not just kids, it's all of us. All of us are doing this. Maybe it's not social media and smartphones, but TV does the same. Movies do the same thing to us. Books, especially fiction, have the same effect. Music has the same dopamine effect on us. Basically, our entire surroundings at any given moment are giving us hits of dopamine. Our minds are literally being hacked. Like, like what's, what's, what has happened is corporations have learned how to hack your mind and to get the most out of you for their own benefit, and we constantly play into their schemes on an ongoing basis. They're manipulating us regularly, and we're not even aware of it. We need to be much more cautious about what we're doing with our brain. We need to get our mind back. Between stimulus and response, there's a space. We're wrapping up, we're landing the plane. In that space is our power to choose our response. Between where the emotions enter our brain through the brainstem and where we decide then to respond and react, either emotionally or rationally, there's a space. There are programmed responses, but they can be unprogrammed. And it is possible to change, to learn to interrupt this process. So I know we've kind of been talking about a lot of brain stuff, but let me just, let me just try to break it down as, as simply as I can. And um, your emotion enters your brainstem, and, and our, our, initial, our initial way of dealing with it is just to react, right? It's how God designed us, how God wired us. But, but there is a space, and, and the more aware we become of our emotions and what we're feeling triggered to do, right? That triggered word is actually a good word. Between being stimulated to a response and actually having the response, there's a space. And the more aware of that space we get, the more mature we can get in handling our emotions, this doesn't mean we stifle our emotions and stuff our emotions and never use our emotions, but we're going, to, we're going to let them actually come all the way into our brainstem, into our limbic system, and into our neocortex so that we can make a good decision. We can not just react emotionally, but we can actually let God use our emotions for his higher purposes. So between the trigger and the, the, the response, we can learn and train our brain to create space. It will take, it's, it's not easy, it takes work, but in the end, of that, I think it's easier than we thought it was. When our emotions are telling us something, we can learn to stop and translate the message from emotional talk to rational thought, and we can mull it over. In other words, you don't have to blow up when your kids use the last of the batteries without asking. You don't have to be paralyzed with fear when something that turned out bad comes up again. Right? You don't have to be paralyzed with fear when the way that this bad thing happened in the past now comes into your life again and you just assume it's going to have a negative 
outcome. You don't have to let your mind get carried away with anxious thoughts. You have a choice, right? You're not an automaton. You aren't just mindlessly going through life. When, and when anxious thoughts come into your mind, you actually have the power to stop obsessing and dwelling on them. And I know for some of us, myself included, I think it can be really difficult to learn not to. I had a night a couple of weeks ago where I just had a thought get into my mind and it just, I just couldn't get it out to the point where I was dreaming about it later that night. But then the next night I worked at it and I, I tried to intentionally think different thoughts and I had an entirely different set of dreams the next night. We can learn, we can learn how to train our minds. We've just kind of become lazy about it. You're not your feelings. That's not who you are. You have feelings, but you are not your feelings. We'll get into that this week. You are also not dependent on the feeling that you get from dopamine. You're also not just your thoughts. You are not your logic. You are not your rational thinking. You can think logically. You have rational thinking. But you were designed to bring all of these things together to form a whole. Never one of them in isolation from one or the other, but you were designed to bring all of these elements together, working together in concert to live as rationally mature, emotionally mature, responsibly mature human beings. And when we do this, we thrive. When we do this, we can have healthy relationships. We can actually have lasting careers. We can have an identity. We can actually get to know God because we get to know others beyond the way we, we feel in the moment. And then we can know God deeper because through these relationships we get to know ourselves on a deeper level. I think when you look at Jesus' time on earth, this is exactly how he operated. He never once was, even though he was stimulated just like we were stimulated, he never responded inappropriately. That's what we're going to look at all throughout the course of this coming week in the life of Jesus. He never, he never responded inappropriately. He only ever responded the right way. But he did, in fact, react emotionally. So that's why our big idea is this. Jesus never unintentionally reacted emotionally. When he reacted emotionally, he did it intentionally. And if we're going to be like Christ then we have to follow him this way as well. So this is why our identity statement is, I do not have to instinctively react to situations. I can choose the best response and learn to respond like Christ. Now, there's a whole lot of, of caveats in a talk like this. I know this is not 100% in every single human, every situation, that there are things that are going to be much more complicated that you have to deal with, depending on your background and all of those things. But I believe that, that, we've under, that we've allowed ourselves to be the victims of emotions far more than we have been victors over them. Victors of, of over the way these things make us feel instead of allowing them to dictate how our lives go. And I don't think that's how God wanted us to be. And so it is work. But I also know from personal experience over the course of the last you know, year or two um, that, that you can change the way you think. 
And it doesn't mean that it ever gets easy. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that, it, that, it's not, that there's not a day where you slip back into old habits and routines because the neural pathways are still there and it's easy to go back down those same roads. But it's also easy to get back on the new highway once you've established it. And so, um, so I want to help us mature this way as best I know how and we'll continue to learn and to, and to develop it. But for three or four minutes, I don't know if you have any questions about any of this, if any of this didn't make sense and how it all plays together. What I want you to, to, to know is that we live, we have an incredibly complex mind that God designed this way. And, and our world right now is kind of harnessing or honing in on only one little tiny aspect of it and making everything about that one central part. But that's not how God wants us to work. Any questions, thoughts, comments? Concerns? Tom Cruise is not going to walk in anytime soon in case you're worried about that. Yeah, that, that stinking thinking, man, that, I could go on a soapbox about that. I think that's what's happening in our country right now, is that we're, we're literally creating our future by the spew that's happening. Like, like, there's so much negative thinking that's being spewed out into the airwaves and out into the society all around us on a constant basis. On every channel, everywhere you can get, on social media, everywhere you're getting this kind of negative stinking thinking all the time. I think that's just producing the, the, the direction that we're going. I don't, think, I don't think any of the politics or any of the political parties or any of that has, you know, are as much the problem as we are just going down this road and we're not stopping ourselves. Yeah, I think so. So um, this is just my initial knowledge, initial thought on it. Um, first, you need to give yourself grace. Right, because a lot of time we react negatively, we react the wrong way, and then we get down on ourselves for having reacted the wrong way, and so we just kind of keep going down a negative pathway, right? So you're not gonna fix a, a, a bad reaction with a bad reaction. You know, it's not like math where two negatives make a positive. You know, it's just, it's just gonna keep getting more and more negative. Um, but here's what I've been doing, and I, so I can only speak to it from, from my experience is doing a post-mortem on it, right? So after, after the reaction, going back and investigating it, and the sooner, the, the closer to the event you can do this, the better chance you have of finding the trigger. And if you can find that trigger, then you can start to train your brain to look for those triggers, right? And so um, if I know I'm triggered to think negative thoughts, and so one of the things that I struggle with is negative thinking, real, real negative, pessimistic thinking. But I think I'm a fairly positive person now to the point where a lot of my free thought has become much more positive thinking instead of negative thinking. And um, one of the things the brain, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, a brain guy, um, talks about killing ants, A-N-T, you know, automatic negative thoughts, killing ants. So kill those ants. Well, so, but if you're, if you're kind of in a cycle, you're, you need a trigger, right? You need to realize, oh, so, but if you go through a season, you know, maybe, maybe half an hour, hour, a day, a week, and you realize, oh, I've just kind of had this negative mindset, then you start, start looking back and trying to find that trigger. What triggered it? What started it? And the closer you can get to that event, you can, oh, it was when this happened. When this person said this to me, my, my automatic response was 
negative thinking. And so I just went there. And, and the more you can start to make your brain aware of those things, right, then, then I think what God is going to do, I think, I think God will, through the power of the Spirit, alive and active and at work in us, is he's going to start to wake up your mind to all of the triggers that are related to that, that instance, that, that kind of reaction. You'll start to see, oh, I would have normally responded that way here, but now I have a breath. I'm not going to. You know, and it's just, and then, and then you know, you get that first, you get that first win, where I normally would have reacted this way, and that's we we joke about high-fiving yourself, right? Give yourself a little celebration, give yourself a little reward because you should have reacted that way because that's how you've wired your brain, and you didn't do it. That's a good thing, woo, right? I mean, celebrate it, and you start to eventually start to build a whole new system out of those things. That's how, that's how I've had to do it, and it's, I'm, a, I'm far from completion on that, but um, I, think there, I think the post-mortem, discovering what triggered it, and then praying, asking the Spirit to help you be aware of those triggers, asking God to help you be aware of those triggers, and then you start to become more sensitive to those things, and you give yourself a chance. You have a, you have a chance to not react that way. Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, but kind of on, on, I guess, several of them. Um, what are you, your self-talk might be the most practical way we could start working this out this week. Those automatic negative thoughts. You know, are you, are you filling your, what are we filling, are you, we've talked about this for a while, what are we filling our minds with? Are we filling our minds with truth, with hope, with life, with Jesus, you know, with worship, with all of these things? Or we, if we're consuming, if everything that's going into our mind, the diet we're giving our brain, is whatever we're consuming through social media, through our phones, through television, through movies, through books, whatever it is, if that's the primary, the dominant source of our brain diet, so to speak, then that's what our minds are going to be consumed with. That's what's going to be there. But if we can start to tip the scale back in the direction of God and his truth and his habits and his practices and start to tell ourselves some of these truths. I am. I, this is why we do identity statements. I am. I am this way. I, I don't have to be who I was. I am this person. And even though some of these things aren't, you know, aren't maybe happening in the moment, you are becoming these things. I am becoming these things. I am a positive person. Does that mean I don't have... That, I, that I, there are times when I'm negative. Of course there are times when I'm negative, but I am a positive person, and as long as I am becoming more and more positive and encouraging and hopeful, which I think is important for Christians to be hopeful, right? As long as I'm becoming more and more this way, then I am a positive person. I'm not a negative person. That's not who I define myself as. And so killing ants, automatic, automatic negative thoughts, uh, the quicker they get in your, the quicker you stomp on them when they get in your mind, the better you're gonna, your thinking's gonna be. The longer you let them sit there and kind of grow into something, the worse your day is gonna be. And so, how quick can you kill those in, in the week ahead and replace them with God's truth? That's why we memorize scripture, so that if you're struggling with something, memorize a scripture that deals with what you struggle with. And when you're struggling with changing your way of thinking and there's this ant that's coming into your mind, quote that scripture, meditate on that scripture, think about that scripture, fill your mind with that truth and let it overtake and kick out and squash the ant that wants to take over your life, all right? That's as practical as I think we can make it. But um, there's a lot this week. I would encourage you to listen to the podcast or read the devotionals, all of that stuff. 
because there's a lot of information that, uh, that this is going to make more sense the more you get into it. And yeah, this, you got to start building up your, you got to start filling up the reservoir, right? You have to know, you have to know the principles before you actually start to live them out. So, all right, let's stand together. I want to pray for us. I just ask you to bow your head, close your eyes. Visualization is an important part of this process. I think of it in the area, it's in the realm of meditation. Meditating is, I would, I would call, intense, deep focus on something. It's not Eastern meditation, which a lot of people freak out about, where you empty your mind of all thought so that you open yourself, make yourself susceptible to all the different spirits. I think that's a ridiculous idea. You want to intensely, deeply focus on, on something and, and, and uh, focus on God and his principles and his truth. Imagine a situation that you were in this last week, maybe that's you get, that you get into on a regular basis, and how you normally react and respond. Maybe it's a coworker that comes up to complain, and you don't want to participate in the complaining, but you do, and that's been your habit and your routine. Maybe it's a certain temptation and you've always responded to this temptation in one way and you've never been able to resist that temptation. Maybe it's wanting to read and you've always wanted to read God's word and, and spend time with God and you have the best intention of doing it but you never do it. You're, the thing you always do is that you don't do it. You want to do it but you don't. Whatever it is, whatever, whatever you want to do and don't do it, now imagine yourself in that situation and the stimulus has come in, you've, you've started to come into your life and, and you're starting to go down this old road, starting to go back to the old dry wells, go back to the old habits, the old ways of doing things. But now just, just imagine you have just a second just a, just a second between that, that stimulus and your response. And you can, just, you can just, by the power of the Spirit, you can be awakened to a new life. Sure, you can go back in the old direction. You can go back to the death that you've been walking in. But now you have this moment, this breath, where you can choose life. You can choose God's higher ways. You can choose God's higher principles. You can choose God's truth. You can choose in that instant, in that moment, to let the Spirit empower you to respond like Christ would respond. And instead of whatever it was you normally would have done, now you're different. You're a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. And because you are new, you don't have to go there. You don't have to engage. You can feel the power of the Spirit giving you the courage 
to go in a new direction of life. And now, because you've resisted the old and you've embraced the new, now that the Spirit is actively functioning in your heart and your mind and your soul, now you get to be a light. You get to be a lamp on a stand, and together we get to be a city set on a hill where we are living differently. Yes, we are emotional beings. Yes, we are stirred deeply to the deepest part of who we are by, the, by our emotions, but we do not respond in the wrong way emotionally. We respond like Christ would respond. We are stirred to the deepest part of our soul by the love of God that he had for us in sending his son to die a cruel death on our cross. And the deepest parts of our heart, the deepest parts of our soul are stirred by a love so rich and so deep and so sacrificial. And so because of that love, because of what God has done for us, we are stirred in our hearts to respond in worship. We are stirred in our hearts to respond to all that God has done for us because God designed us to love him with our emotions. He wants us to love him out of the fullness of our heart, and he wants to fill our hearts with love so that we can love him. So we empty ourselves of our selfish ambitions. We empty ourselves of our desires to do life in our own strength and by our own power and by our own, our own might. And we ask God in these moments that we have to worship together that you come and you fill us with your power, with your spirit, with your life, that we would be full to overflowing, that out of the overflow of our lives that people would start to see and feel the presence of God walking in their midst, not because we are mighty, but because you are mighty and you are in in us and you are working through us and I pray fathers we finish our time worshiping together that your presence would be mighty here that your spirit would be mighty here and that as we turn our entire attention away from the worries the concerns and everything that's going on in this life and in the week ahead but we spend these few moments worshiping you that you fill us to overflowing with your love in Jesus name let's worship together You know, that, that idea of belief we've talked a lot about. Belief isn't just a rational thing, it's a heart thing. It's a feeling thing. It's not just something that you do in your mind, it's something you do in your heart. And if you're like me, there, you've probably had seasons where you've struggled with belief. Seasons where you've doubted, where where you, you knew maybe intellectually the right thing, but you didn't feel the right thing. So I just want to give us a few moments here. Um, I'm going to ask, I guess, we can spread out around the room to be able to pray. And um, we just want, I just want to give you some time to pray. Maybe, Jim, you could help us too. And, Do you want to? All right, so we've got Becky and Michelle, and then I'll be up here in this corner, and Jim and Russ, and just while the band continues to, to play, um, if you want prayer about something, maybe you're struggling with some kind of belief, struggling with a doubt of some kind, and you would, you've kind of had this doubt that just kind of comes in, this negative thought, and you just, you want to kill it, you want to defeat it today, you want Christ to just stomp on it with his resurrection foot and just kind of put it to death wholly and completely, and 
you just want victory over that, that negative thought. And you, but you might need some prayer. You feel like you need some prayer. Well, we're scattered around the room to pray. But also, you can pray with one another. Maybe if you just want to spend a moment or two praying with one another, encouraging one another and saying, hey, you know what? Let's, let's live victorious Christian lives this week. Let's actually live by the life and the power of the Spirit. So we're going to have just a few moments uh, to pray together in that, in that environment. And if you would like to pray, there's some women. If you'd like to pray, you can go pray with the women. Men, you can come pray with us guys. And then once they start singing, they'll just play for a couple minutes, and then they'll sing and we'll close. And once they start singing, we'll take our offering. We'll do all of our end-of-the-service stuff. Let's just take a few minutes and, uh, and saturate our lives in prayer before we head out into a week.